16, verses 1 to 13. Samuel anoints David. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil And anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Thank you, Fergal. Beautifully read at such short notice. Does anyone feel like doing the talk tonight? Any takers? Well, as Bex has said, I do want to speak about David tonight. And um, I've had a, 
quite a close association or friendship with David, so to speak, since uh, being quite young, even before I came to faith. When I was 10, I was at school, I had a religious education teacher, and we went through the, the story of David. And at that time, it really quite struck me. And in one sense, David saved my life because I did the 11 plus. Did anyone do the 11 plus? And um, basically, I was quite dyslexic at school. I still am dyslexic, and uh, I managed to get 89% in my religious education paper, which actually meant I passed my 11 plus, because uh, the average of all the marks uh, got me through. So I'm very, very fond of David, and then basically I came to faith in my early 20s, and someone said to me about two weeks after coming to faith, look, do you want to come on a Christian holiday? I thought, definitely not. But they were quite keen and enthusiastic. And they said, uh, it's in Butlins, there'll be about 2,000 people. This was a HTB Focus Week, which is very similar to New Wine, very, very good. And so I went down there, and basically, someone prayed for me on the first night. They said, can I pray for you? I thought, okay. I think it was the first person, pretty much, you'd ever prayed for me. And they said, uh, I'm just praying, and I feel God might be saying that, that you've got a similar heart to David, and you should look to David, and he'll have stuff to teach you in your life. And two or three people that week said the same thing as they were praying for me. So I thought, well, that's strange. I've always been quite fond of David. Maybe God is speaking. And anyway, at the end of the week, you know what it's like? I was working in London as a lawyer, and I was on the tube going into uh, the temple tube station. And I was just praying, God, you know, I've just come to faith, had these amazing week away camping, you know, People have said, I should look into the life of David. It would be great if I just have a sign as I come back to work that actually, um, you know, that was you and what happened was real. And so basically I walked into my office and there was quite a senior lawyer I shared an office with. She walked in and said, "Um, hi, David, how is your week away? And I said, my name's Mike. She said, I know it is, David. I thought, that's so weird. I thought it was probably coincidence. And then the partner I was working for, he was one of the leading litigators in London at the time, quite a sort of intimidating person. He came in and said, hi, hi, David, how is your week away? And I said, it's Mike. He said, I know David. And it was just this odd thing. So I've I've had this funny relationship with David, and uh, I love this guy. And just to put this in a bit of context, what we just read tonight, you'll know that Samuel was the head of the nation of Israel. He was the prophetic head and uh, extraordinary prophetic ministry he had. The people then ask for a king, don't they? They say, actually, we want to be like other nations. We want a king. So Samuel prays and God says, look, you can have a king. But Samuel says, if you get a king, he probably uh, will be like other kings. Not necessarily the best thing. But guys, if that's what you want, yeah, you can have a king. And so you know the story, Samuel anoints Saul uh, as the first king of Israel. Saul is this uh, incredibly uh, amazing person, but he's quite insecure, and he doesn't always do what God asks. And the consequence of that is that the, the Lord rejects him as the first king, and he tells um, Saul that he's going to find someone else. So this is what Samuel says to Saul in 1 Samuel 13. You've acted foolishly. He doesn't quite um, do what he's meant to do following a battle with the Amalekites. Uh, He says this, you've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, you would have established, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him as leader of his people. 
because you have not kept the Lord's command. And God says to Samuel, look, we've rejected Saul. I want you to go to Bethlehem. There's a guy here there called, called Jesse, and he has a number of sons. Go down there, and basically I'm going to tell you which one to anoint as the next king of uh, Israel, the second king, if you like. So you've heard Samuel goes, and uh, people are quite frightened of him. Uh, and uh, he says to Jesse, look, uh, I, don't, I need to see all of your sons uh, God's asked me to anoint one of them as king. And so Eliab, the first son, the eldest son, walks past Samuel. And Samuel, it's interesting, uh, he's this amazingly prophetic person. He looks at Eliab and thinks, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me, in verse 6. But then there's this important verse in verse 7. Uh, it's not him, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And um, Abinadab goes next, then Shammah. Seven of Jesse's sons appear, and God doesn't say to Samuel to anoint any of them. And so he's sort of <laughs> awkward pause. Okay, Jesse, have you got any more sons? He says, actually, I've got, I've got an eighth son. He's the youngest. He's out in the field somewhere tending sheep. Samuel says, I need to see him. Uh, we're not going to sit down till he gets here. Uh, we're not going to do anything till he gets here. So then David comes from the fields. He's been a shepherd. And God says to Samuel, uh, anoint him uh, as the next king. So Samuel anoints him. And the spirit rests on David uh, in power. Then Samuel moves on to Ramah. So that's the sort of basic intro context of this passage of David's anointing. What I want to do is just identify four things I love about David. And the first is simply this. I love David. David is one of my heroes because actually he's a seeker of God. He is a man after God's own heart. He is into God. You see this. He writes Psalms. He's prophetic. He's poetic. He's a seeker of God. He just loves God. And uh, he's a man after God's own heart. And uh, it's interesting. I think uh, David basically seeks God consistently, as far as I can see, over the course of his whole life. He uh, seeks him in victorious times. If you want to look at this, look at Psalm 18. He seeks God in good times, Psalm 21. He seeks God in really bad times, Psalm 22. He seeks God in crippling times of grief, uh, Psalm 31. He seeks God in chronic times of personal failure in his life, Psalm 51. And uh, he is a person who loves God, seeks God, and lives a life of devotion. And, uh, you know, I've just been reading some of those psalms, uh, Psalms 61, 63, 67, those amazing psalms of devotion uh, to God. And it's clear, basically, that he seeks God throughout the course of his whole life, whatever's happening. And even his last words that are recorded in 2 Samuel 23 speak of him just seeking God and pursuing God and pressing into God. And uh, this uh, is why I actually really, really love David. He's a seeker of God, and he pursues God, and he's a man after God's own heart. And what's interesting is our culture doesn't really, doesn't really honor uh, seeking after God or being people who seek after God's 
heart. Our culture's not actually interested in our hearts at all. It's just interested in our bank balances, what car we drive, what clothes we wear, what houses we uh, live in, where we go on holiday. But actually, see, God is very, very interested in people's hearts, and he knows people's hearts. Despite the outward appearance, despite how we all look, despite how successful we might look, God knows exactly what's going on in people's hearts. He knows what's going on in my heart right now in my life. He knows what's going on in your heart right now in your life. I was really struck by this recently. I was at a conference. It wasn't New Wine. Uh, A woman was speaking. She's a high-profile Christian speaker, amazing theologian. She spoke for an hour on quite deep theological uh, uh, topic, and uh, it was absolutely gripping. And I was thinking, I'm going to grab her afterwards and see if I could get her into St. Saviour's or she'd come and do uh, a conference for us. For, for, yeah, for us. And uh, I was just praying for her towards the end of her talk, and I was just praying a blessing on her just quietly as I was sitting there. And um, I was just praying for her, saying, God, is there anything you want me to do or pray for? And he said, she's at the end of herself, and I want you to tell her I'm going to comfort her and heal her. And I, don't, I, know, I know lots of you get this sort of stuff too. I don't know how you feel when you get this stuff. I always feel slightly terrified and awkward and, oh, my gosh, I start sweating. So I went up to her after the talk, and I said, look, I, that was an amazing uh, talk. I, I was wondering if you'd be up for coming in to speak at St. Saviour's. She said, oh, I know St. Saviour's. Uh, it's a brilliant church, isn't it? I said, it is brilliant. And uh, she said, actually, um, I'm not going to come in because I've just cancelled all my appointments for the next two years. And uh, I said, it's funny you should say this. I feel really embarrassed to say this, but I was praying for you while you were speaking. And take this or leave this. Do please take it or leave it. But I felt God might be saying to you that you're at the end of yourself and he's going to comfort you and heal you. And she just burst out crying. She said, you wouldn't believe what's happened to me the last phase of my life. I've been doing too much. My family is all over the shop. And I, I've just got to stop and take a break. So it's definitely God. Now, you'd never know that looking at her. Uh, lots of books, high profile, global speaker. But you see, God knows people's hearts. And it's important when we look at the Bible, isn't it? When we think about David, that we think about him being a seeker of God. That really asks us, really, what's going on in our hearts? Are we seeking God at this time in our lives. It's important we, we wrestle with these things. I want to uh, encourage you to uh, seek God, press into God over the summer, if you're going to get a bit of space. And however you seek God, however you connect with God, and we do it in all sorts of different ways, um, it could be going for a walk in the countryside, it could be speaking in tongues for hours on end, it could be reading the Bible for hours on end, it could be going on a silent retreat, it could be just spending lots of time with uh, great people that you all pray together. However you connect with God, however you hear from God, however you seek God, can I urge you to do that this summer? And actually draw close to the Lord. Because actually, uh, God is gracious. We can connect with him at any point. But if we're to press into him, it takes intentionality. It takes commitment. It takes uh, uh, time. And it takes passion. 
and focus. And this is what David models in his life, if you read the story of his life. He's forever praying. He's forever seeking God. And I want to encourage you to do that because uh, we need to be people uh, to really flourish. We need to be people who know what it is that God is saying to us in this season of our life. We need to be people who are responding and doing what he's asking us to do. And we have such an amazingly exciting autumn planned. But actually, what I really want you to do over the summer, if I could be so bold, is for you to come back in September, if you don't know already, actually, this is who I am. These are my gifts. This is what God's calling me to do uh, in this season. And then in the autumn, as we face a new year, to actually pick up the ball, so to speak, and get ready to run. Because uh, the church uh, desperately needs all of us to do that. So that's the first thing I think I love about David. He's a seeker of God. He's someone who uh, seeks after God. He's a man after God's own heart. Now, the second thing I love about David, the thing I think makes him a hero, uh, is that he is very, very courageous, and he takes risks. David is courageous, and he takes risks. Now, of course, the big episode in David's life where he does this is probably uh, with David um, and Goliath, isn't it? Recorded in 1 Samuel 17. And uh, you know the story. There's this monster of a man, a Philistine, taunting the Israelites. I think he's nine feet tall. And no one dare go near him. All the armies are shaking. And David says, I'll, I'll go. I'll fight him. And everyone thinks, you've got to be joking. You know, you're not even in the army. What are you doing? But David fights him. And uh, I love the story, you know, he's still on speaking terms with Saul at this point. Saul says to him, look, you can't just go out there, you borrow my armor. David tries on Saul's armor, sorry, I don't, it just doesn't fit, it's not me, I've just got to do this my way. So he doesn't even wear armor, he's offered swords, he's offered jack. no, 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 I don't need any of that. And he just goes armed with five smooth stones. Think about that. <laughs> And uh, he um, actually kills Goliath. And David's confidence, you see, uh, is in God. His courage comes from his confidence in God. He knows because he's a seeker of God. He's a man after God's own heart. He's spent time with God. He knows who God is, that actually God is powerful. And God is actually going to come through for him. When Goliath is taunting him. This is what he says to Goliath. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of heaven, whom you have defied. And David just steps out and head chops his head off. Unbelievable, amazing story. Now, this is important to us, this talk of courage, this talk of taking risks, because in the Christian life, uh, our central core, we've got different gifts, we've got different personalities, we've got different things that really we long to see and God gives us passion for. But whatever it is, actually, we uh, feel inadequate and we can often feel frightened to do the things that God are calling us to do. You know, we're, we're all to be speaking about our faith, speaking about Jesus. Often we struggle with that and we feel a bit frightened about that. We're called to pray for other people and to 
pray for healing, to pray for people to be filled with the Spirit, to go onto the streets in mission and do all this sort of stuff. And often in the church, uh, we can shy away from that sort of stuff. Why? Because we actually uh, feel inadequate. We feel weak. And David could have been like that, but actually, because he's a man after God's own heart, he actually knows who God is, and he steps out, and he's courageous. And this is important for us, because the basic thing I'm trying to say here is that David didn't let his inadequacies take him off the pitch, if you like. His vision of God was bigger, and uh, he just went for it anyway. And you could have a super spiritual reading of the Bible. We often do it, where David just walks around with no fear. and feel He would have been frightened going out onto that battlefield. I'm sure he would have been. But he has a vision of God, a confidence in God, which um, means that he doesn't let his inadequacies uh, cripple him and paralyze him. And um, this is important. Now, Many years ago, when I was living in New Zealand, uh, I was feeling uh, quite weak and inadequate as I was leading the church. It was actually uh, through this time of great growth in the life of the church. And uh, our children's worker, who's this amazing uh, female leader, um, she came into my little room and she just said, Mike, I was praying and I felt I had to give you this. What's that? She walked out. I opened this, and uh, there was a little note inside. It was a psalm of David inside, a psalm that's been quite important to me. And uh, it, there was an explanation. This is a miniature bag that Maori warriors uh, used to take into battle with their weapons in. And it's called a kete. And uh, in Maori culture and New Zealand culture, it's a very spiritual um, bit of kit, so to speak. And so I read this psalm, and I looked inside. And I looked inside, I put it out. Oh, five smooth stones. That's all you need. Vision of God, five smooth stones. And what's so inspirational about David is that, you see, because he's a man after God's own heart, because he's someone who sees God and has sought God, His confidence is in God, not in himself. You know when you and I say, oh my gosh, I couldn't do that. I don't know. I've never done a theology degree. Oh my goodness, I could never pray for someone like that. I never did. I never did. I'm not like them over there. I'm never, I'm never, I'm not this, I'm not that. Oh no, I know. Oh, ah, ah. What we do is we make our spiritual lives about us. But it's about him. And with God, all things are possible. And that's what I love about David. He's courageous and has his sights firmly set on God. So that's the courage bit. And by the way, um, do um, know that in the autumn, we're, we're, we're upping the levels of courage in this place, I hope. And uh, we're, we're seeking to uh, lead many, many people to faith through next year. We need to be really praying for that. I'm looking at the intercessors around the room. Can start praying now. I'm sure you started already. And we're going to be going onto the streets. We're going to be doing all sorts of cool stuff. And we're going to, uh, I think, see God do some brilliant things. So come ready to do that. And come, basically, having sought God and spent time with God over the summer.
Thirdly, David is my hero, uh, and you can probably guess this one, because he's incredibly flawed as a person. He's totally flawed as a man. And uh, for many years, my reading of David uh, in my 20s, 30s went something like this. David was amazing. David was a poet. David was a prophet. David was a warrior king. Everything he touched turned to gold and uh, extraordinary person. And he has this big indiscretion with Bathsheba. And that's sort of uh, the one mistake he makes. But apart from that, he's just amazing, David. Actually, it's a misreading of the story. If you look at the story, if you read the story, I often go back to it quite a few times. What you see is that David is incredibly flawed. He's selfish, self-centered, narcissistic, mean. He lies, deceives, steals, is full of lust about any woman he sees he seems to want to have sex with or marry. He's consistently inappropriate. Uh, He's an indulgent father. His children don't respect him. And this is David the warrior king. And in other words, David is very, very imperfect. And what I love about David is because he's a man after God's own heart, because he has a vision of God, he doesn't just not let his inadequacies paralyze him. He doesn't also let his imperfections paralyze him. And I don't know about you, but I am shot through with imperfection. I, I was praying this last week. I was praying. I pray this prayer reasonably regularly. Lord, why on earth have you asked me to lead a church? I, I just, I'm the wrong person. I'm the wrong shape with the wrong personality. And I just, I just, I've got all sorts of stuff going on. But you see, actually, what David teaches us, what David knows, what David models very, very intentionally is that God is not after perfection. He's not interested in perfection. He's actually interested in devotion. He wants people who are devoted to him. And you know, on the cross through Jesus Christ, he's actually, when we do fail, covered our sin. And we just bring stuff to him and he he forgives us. So actually, as well as not letting our inadequacies take us off the pitch and paralyze us, it's really, really important that we don't let our imperfections paralyze us either. Do you ever, do you ever sort of feel, oh my gosh, I've done that, that's me, I'm history, I'm done. Oh my gosh, God would never use me because fill in the blanks. All these sorts of things. I, I, can, I, I have too many conversations, so many conversations. I have these conversations with myself as well. Uh, there's so much Christian guilt flying around. I'm not this, I'm not that, I've done this, I've done that. Actually, it's not about perfection, it's about devotion. And you see, David is so inspirational because he understands God's mercy and grace. And he relentlessly just moves on when he gets things wrong and says sorry to God and just presses on seeking God and doing what God wants him to do. The truth is, we're all completely broken. We're all completely screwed. We're all completely shot through with faults and um, imperfections, aren't we? And none of us are good enough. That's the whole point of grace. So let's just try and apply this a bit more. Hands up if you pray enough. Oh, that's no one, including me. Yikes. Hands up if you read your Bible enough. 
Oh, that's no one. Uh, hands up if you really speak about your faith all the time and you, you feel you do that enough. Oh, that's another zero. Uh, hands up if you really, really feel you model the Christian life really, 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 really well to other people. Oh, dear. Since saviors, we are in trouble. But we're all in trouble. But you see, God loves us. He loves his people, you see. And it's not about perfection. Uh, he loves you whether you read your Bible or not, believe it or not. He loves you whether you have a quiet time or not. He loves you if you're deep in secret addiction. He loves you if you look at internet pornography. He loves you if you're having an affair. He loves all people. He loves Muslims. He loves gay people, lesbians, transgendered people. He loves all people. And it's not about what we do and where we fail. It's about him and who he is and what he has done. And actually, when we get paralyzed by I'm not this and I've done this and I've done that, actually, what we're really doing is making it all about us, not about Jesus. And actually, if I may say so, we're also really minimizing slash ignoring slash overlooking what he's done on the cross, which is a never good idea, if you think about it. So... Actually, David is very, very flawed. He's like you and me, but he gives us hope because actually we see in David that God is after devotion, not perfection. He's forgiving, he's gracious, he's kind. And if you've got stuff that is going on in your life which you know is unacceptable, just ask for his forgiveness and move on and get on with what God is calling you to do. The fourth reason I love David is, this is the final one, is because his life is an inspiration, uh, but it's actually ultimately a warning. David's life actually is a warning. Why on earth is David's life uh, a warning? Well, I think, I haven't seen this for a while, but uh, David actually doesn't end well. David's in, towards the end of his life, Uh, things fall apart quite badly, I want to suggest. I've just read this thoroughly depressing book on the life of David, another David book I've read. And uh, basically, its basic thesis is that everyone in the story, the main characters in 1 and 2 Samuel, none of them end well in their life. It's like, oh, this is uplifting. Uh, But Samuel sort of, um, you know, he becomes a bit jealous of Saul, doesn't really end well. His sons are a mess, his family's a mess. Saul doesn't end well. Just this amazing man who's flawed and actually doesn't end well. He ends up killing himself. Uh, And David actually doesn't end well, is the theory uh, of this guy in this book. And I think it's fair to say that, that David actually does sort of, his life does slightly fragment uh, towards the end. And it's a chilling story uh, if you read it carefully. And What happens for David when things start to go wrong, I want to suggest, things go wrong when he stops pressing on with God, when he stops asking God what the next step is, and when he stops pressing into the things of God and what God is calling him to. And uh, I'm taking this, the, the big thing that starts to shatter David's life towards the end is his affair with Bathsheba. And uh, you get the clue to this at the beginning of 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. This phrase, I would suggest, is a, is a warning to us. 
In the spring, at the time kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. Let me say that one more time. In the spring, at the time kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. So here's David. He's the warrior king. He's the the most extraordinary military leader there's been uh, in the history of God's people. And all, everyone's going off to battle, but David's decided to stay in Jerusalem. He's not going. And he's not really doing what God has called him to. He's not prioritizing the God stuff. And it's at that point when he's just feeling a bit bored in Jerusalem. He's out one day and he sees Bathsheba having a bath. And he thinks, wow, she looks hot. Uh, I wouldn't mind getting to know her a bit better. And <laughs> let's put it that way. No, in the Hebrew sense, if you're, if you're with me. And, um, and uh, just this awful thing happens. He kills, her, he kills her husband. And you know the story. It's awful. But I want to suggest David doesn't end well and things unravel after that. And basically, uh, all sorts of stuff goes wrong. If you know the story, think of Amnon and Tamar. Think of Absalom killing Amnon. Think of Absalom's conspiracy against David. You know, one of his own children tries to overthrow him. Think how fractious that was. And uh, it all sort of starts to go on wrong when he stops just doing the things that God is calling him to do. And boredom sets in. And what I want to really end by saying uh, as a challenge before we break for the summer is, you know, I don't know where you are in your Christian life. I don't know whether you've started well and have lost your way, or you're still going really strong. But it's good to review from time to time, you know, where am I with God? Because often what can happen if you've been a Christian a while, and you've been following God for a while, you can actually just be sitting in Jerusalem. What do I mean by that? You can just be doing a whole load of Uh, Christian stuff, but not really pressing into what God is calling you to do. You can be kind of in the holy city. Uh, You can be around the church. But actually, are you really, really picking up the ball and running with what God uh, is calling you to do? And this can happen if you're 15. It can happen if you're 50, if you're 80, if you're 90. And one thing I did want to say, I said this to the nine o'clock lot. You know, one of the great deceptions when you get a bit older Uh, David almost is having like a midlife crisis possibly. But what happens when you get older is that you can think, oh, my best years are behind me. Or I'm too old now, God isn't going to use me. I've seen all that God is probably going to do in and through me. Uh, But actually all all of those things are a lie. They're a total lie. Because actually God has stuff for you to experience and do. He has work for you to uh, do in taking the kingdom forward right up until the time uh, of your last breath. You're not, uh, it's not over, you see, until you're dead in the Christian life. And so we mustn't deceive ourselves. We mustn't think, oh, well, maybe it's all about the young people now or, or, or maybe I'll just do this or that. Actually, God has stuff for you that will feed you and uh, work for you to do. I love Corrie Ten Boom. On her 80th birthday, she felt God say to her, pack your bags. And she did a whole lot of ministry after that. And so do you understand what I'm saying? Do you follow what I'm saying? Have you lost your way as a Christian? 
Are you going to finish the race strong? Have you stopped? Have you got distracted? Are you just worried about other things? Or are you in the zone with God, taking the risks, stepping out in faith, speaking about your faith, building the kingdom, and doing the stuff that you're designed to do by God? Because often you can get lost. David got a bit lost. He started well. He went pretty well. And then he just lost his way a bit. But God was gracious, remember. God loved him. God honored him. Despite all of that, to the very, very end. So I'm going to wrap up. I love David, first of all, because he's a man after God's own heart. Are you a man or woman after God's own heart? I love David because he's courageous. I love David because he's flawed. And I love David because he just nudges me from time to time and says, be careful. Don't do that Christian sleepwalking thing. The wheels of your life will fall off fast if you do. Keep close to God. Keep pressing into God. Keep taking risks. Keep stepping out and build the kingdom. Amen. We're going to take communion. So um, some words hopefully will appear on the screen. I want to give you a few moments just to reflect on what I said. And also, actually, as we've been talking about what we've been talking about, just to bring to God anything you want to bring to God uh, in confession tonight, knowing that this God is gracious and merciful that we worship and that we follow. So let's have a few moments Silence, where in the silence of our hearts, we can actually bring things to God in confession that we want to.